Welcome to the latest episode of Take Back Our Schools. I'm Andrew Gutman, along with my co-host, Beth Feely. And today we have a little bit special format in that we have two guests instead of our usual one, but they are a team and they are very used to doing these sort of things together. So I think it'll be really, really good. I want to welcome to the podcast uh, in no particular order, Amy Gonzalez and Andrea Gross from Columbus, Ohio. And they, like Beth and myself, are sort of two parents that saw some bad things going on in their children's schools and became, as I like to call it, accidental activists and parent organizers. And then they are doing something that goes even beyond that, which is starting in the school, which is something we will talk about. Uh, so Amy and Andrew, welcome to Take Back Our Schools. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Um, I want to let you tell your story, but just very briefly before we get to that, tell us how many kids each of you have, how old and did you know each other, you know, prior to all this stuff? Were your friends before or did you meet through this kind of process? Um, this is Andrea. And um, actually, thank you so much for having us. Um, I have two daughters. Um, one is currently 17 and the other one is 12. Um, I have one daughter who's a 12 year old. And so our youngest girls were in the same grade together at the private school Columbus Academy, which their last year there was fifth grade. So this year we homeschooled them. And with her older daughter, it was a little bit different situation. Um, so, um, but in terms of being friends um, before this, um, we were definitely friendly, um, but um, this has really created, I would say, Beyond a friendship, um, this is more of a sisterhood at this point. Okay, fantastic. Um, yeah, we have we've really been through it a whole lot closer. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, so some good things come out of all this terrible Absolutely. stuff yes. in education. Okay, so tell us your story. What happened? What did you see in your kids' schools that made you so alarmed and and became you know these activists and organizers? Um, actually, you know, I would say I f probably first started noticing some things in terms of just like changing of vocabulary words, the meanings. Um, when my husband was on the board, my husband served on the board um, at Columbus Academy for about six years. And um, def definitely over that time period, um, that was when the headmaster, the current headmaster who's there now, um, when she first started. And definitely there seemed to be a very, very large shift in changing many things about the school um, in terms of um, just the way it function, the role of the board, um, their involvement, um, things like that. How many years ago are we talking uh, when you started that, you noticed that slide starting? Um, I would say you would probably notice that slide in our school. Um, she's been there for eight years and I would say at the very beginning of her eight years. Um, my okay. husband had been in, he graduated from the school. Um, we have about a 40 year relationship with the school. Um, so I know it very well. Um, we've been involved not only in volunteering, but financially, and my husband attended and again, served in many capacities, but I would say eight years, we definitely saw a very big shift. And what's Columbus Academy known for? Like, what is the draw? What makes it a school that people wanted to have their kids go to that same school? Um, I would Why I think it attracted us because um, our home base was going to be Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, because that's where my husband's from. And when we had our daughter, I mean, I, I can remember she was only even a couple months old and the whole world changes. And for us, I had lived next to um, one of our neighbors uh, in Columbus when I lived there, uh, was an alum of the school, always spoke very highly of it. And for me, it stood for academic excellence and the best opportunity that we were able to give our daughter. And I would say for a long time, um, 
it really was an opportunity, I think, to help in the best ways possible, not only to, to, to develop critical thinkers and people who were um, confident and um, just kind um, and using logic and reason. Um, yes. And really understanding history, being very rooted in just really knowledge. understanding the principles of knowledge. Sounds like it was really fulfilling academic needs and, you know, social emotional needs. And then things start going noticeably south or awry. So can you take us through kind of when, when you saw, or when you decided to say, you know what, I need to speak up. We need to do something. Um, you know, Amy and I both noticed it, I think at different times, but definitely Amy was very, very, very involved in the school and volunteering, um, noticing being like very interactive with our director of diversity and community life at that point. Um, she was making comments, the director of diversity and community life that our school represented at 110 years of white supremacy. Um, they were doing things like conducting research on our minors without parental consent. These were gender research studies. Um, where their data was eventually um, sent to the University of Pennsylvania and available for sale. And our headmaster actually sat on the board of that um, that group. And is that something you knew was happening or did you find that out after? No, we we found that out. That was, you know, stuff was coming through. And when we we knew it, we asked questions, you know, things would happen and we would just keep asking more questions, which then just kept snowballing. And the director, sorry, one more last thing, the director of diversity and community. Mm -hmm. When was that position created? If you remember. Well, I think they had that position when I came to the school in 2014. I think it took on okay. a bigger role um, because um, through different uh, pieces of communication that we have obtained, it shows where that's when there was the introduction of um, skin color being really important and affinity groups. And I took affinity groups as, wow, this is a great way to share our culture with everybody. I I helped co-found the Latino affinity group because I didn't understand that the reasoning behind it was to separate groups. And for our events, you know, we were like, everybody's welcome. But I wasn't understanding that until a little bit later on when, you know, my friend invited me to um, one of her activities and then told me, oh, she had to wait and ask and see if it was okay if I attended. So that... Um, yeah, that was some things that really started waving some flags and, you know, and I think ultimately what, so we started noticing these things. Um, we started really taking notice of the curriculum changes, removal of books, um, no learning specialists in the lower school, but doubling to the first department, lots of things, lots of things. Censored speech. Yeah, censored speech. And um, we, you know, I'm an attorney by background. So, um, you know, we, we decided that we needed to just be very precise in what we were asking about and zero ability for our error or misinterpretations of things. So we started to take note of these things. And then ultimately, the school ultimately decided to have um, in Martin Luther King what they called a celebration. But it was not about Martin Luther King. Um, it was very much about Malcolm X. Um, the students were running around. It was spontaneously thrust upon them. The school knew it was happening. They acted like it was organic. It was not. It was very scripted by the school. Um, it was causing so much angst amongst the students. They said that they thought there was civil disobedience going, civil unrest going on at the school. They were screaming at each other. You're a racist because you didn't get to the gym fast enough. Um, There were, they were just a, a multitude of things that happened that were very upsetting to a larger group of parents. And at that point, Amy and I realized that, um, 
this is a lot of people that are having a lot of concerns with things that are happening. And once we had those discussions, what we ultimately realized even more was that there were lots of people and almost every single person had at least the same situation where they were told that they were the only one that feels that way or that it was either their or their child's perception. Um, and so then, we saw that, you know, it's very much a, you're uh, you're the only one you're marginalized. You're meant to feel alone and isolated in nature with your concern. And then when you have a group of large people that all felt that way, we realized it kind of seemed more like a tactical strategy. So we just moved forward with questions that we wanted to ask. Um, okay. And we ultimately were able to negotiate after multiple different back and forth with four out of our 22 board members um, and the headmaster, always the headmaster. Um, we did get an opportunity to meet with them and ask them a lot of very specific questions about breaching of their fiduciary duties, financial questions we had about the school, misappropriation of money, um, legal questions is what we were asking about. Um, and we did bring affidavits to that. Um, we brought dozens of affidavits to that meeting um, to show the school that this is not two people, despite what they were spreading out to the rest of the school. Our headmaster was sending all school communications out, telling everyone that Amy and I were spreading rumor and innuendo. Um, and so in order to disprove that, and um, they were ultimately telling people we were lying about what we were asking about, um, we brought those affidavits to show them that there's lots of people with these questions and concerns. We asked for three things. We asked for an independent uh, fiscal um, Invest investigation or audit right. of the school. We asked for a, a confidential reporting line for our teachers. And um, we asked for, um, what was the last thing we asked for, Amy? We asked for just an investigation. An investigation into, into, into the, the allegations issues. of our, um, we had an open letter and a 10 page appendix that had specific questions we were asking. So we wanted those things to be looked into. And they ultimately decided no to all of those. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask what was the outcome. Um, and you know, you really, you were very reasonable. I did read through the open letter and the affidavit and everything that you did was well-documented. Um, I didn't see anything inflammatory. I didn't see anything that seemed unreasonable for a parent to want to better understand. So what was their justification for using some of that language about you later? I mean, what, after they denied your requests, what happened? And I guess, take us through how, um, kind of the effect that that had on you? Because it seemed as though they really went after you um, and your character. Well, um, they did issue a statement that said that um, they were not going to meet any of our needs or any of our requests. And they were going to, um, the headmaster was going to investigate um, herself and the things that we had brought forth that had been done. And everything was good. You know, um, they, you know, they think they did say at one point we missed the mark on a couple of things, but there weren't really any specificities, um, listed there or any direct, um, answers to many of the questions that we had. So, um, we, uh, we ultimately assembled on um, the coalition of, um, you know, hundreds of hundreds, alumni, hundreds of alumni, faculty, students, um, students over parents. 18 and parents. And um, we just proceeded to just continue to try to ask questions um, as best we could. We tried to strategize every way possible to try to work with the school. We had um, an alum that actually offered to do like a town hall style where the school could be there because we really wanted to confront concerns with good ideas. And we knew that a lot of the things were not answered questions, but they um, refused to participate in that. So they refused to speak to us and um, they would not answer our questions and um so ultimately, um, we decided that um, we 
after the board meeting, um, the, the president of our board, he first falsely accused Amy and I of um, disseminating that Zoom video to the Ohio Association of Independent Schools, which we did not do. Um, but then he went on and gave us written permission to go ahead and speak to any third parties about the school or its leadership at any time. And um, because the school was refusing to speak to us at all, um, we yeah. agreed to then go on a podcast after that. Um, we did go on a podcast and um, they took a lot of issue with us going on the podcast. They did not like the things the hosts were saying. Unfortunately, they attributed the things the host said to Amy and I. Um, and from that point forward, they just decided to deem us as violent, um, as threats. Uh, threats to the school and the community. They ultimately um, called the police on us. I they, think they took a lot of action too, just to breed mistrust in our community. Um, really divisive in nature. They sat down. I mean, our school's only 1,100 students and we practically have a one-to-one ratio. There's over almost 870 employees. She sat them down on the floor to tell them that she had 24-7 security, that the FBI had been contacted. Uh, a lot of intimidating things. Um, you know, uh, one of the teachers raised their hand that has both of our youngest daughters and asked, like, should she be treating our daughters differently? Um, whenever they allowed some of the documents to leak in the beginning, uh, one of the few people that got them was my daughter's teacher. We questioned our children's safety because some of the older kids of faculty members were sending out very vile um, TikToks that were going um, viral, um, saying very very derogatory things. Um, you know, yeah. so how were your kids? So I want to follow up on the kids how, through this whole process. So I just to get the time frame right. The Martin Luther King Day was in January 2021. Mm-hmm. And this whole process to what you just described was like that podcast was when? I mean, how many months are we in April? Talking? The first podcast okay. we did was in April. I mean, however, like the, our diversity, director of diversity statement about our school being 110 years of white supremacy, that was in the summer of 2020. Right. Okay. Okay. But this all, I mean, this really blew up in a couple of months, in a few months period. Right. In early right. 2021. Okay. So yeah. you're, I, I'm curious about your kids. You, you started to describe what was going on. How were they at the beginning? Were they supportive of you? Were they like, oh, please don't do this? I mean, where, where, where were they They didn't on? really know a lot about. They didn't our know. school was in person that okay. whole year, the, the lower school. The upper school went back uh, shortly after we came out, I think because then parents were starting to pay attention to what was going on and more was coming out about what they were hearing online and what they were not hearing about education, the lack of education and more activating our students. Um, so they didn't really know what was well, happening. Our younger ones didn't, but my older daughter. Oh did. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, my older daughter at that point was in high school. And so, yes, I would definitely think, yes, she definitely felt, um, I definitely think she felt the backlash of that. Um, there Even was a lot from of faculty. social media, not just from the kids, but from the faculty too. I mean, she definitely felt it all the way up and down. Um, okay. And I have to give her a lot of credit because um, she, she had 16. to go in there every day and she's 16 years old and put her shoulders back and just try to get her, you know, get her work done and keep her head up and not get entangled in anything. And she did a great job of it. So what I'm are, so what are some things that happened? 
oh, just, you know, the social media type of things and terrible um, videos with very, yeah. oh, I um, mean, um, from the, from the teachers, from the faculty, like what kind um, of, just in terms of power balance, just power balance, things they would say, um, when asking a question, kind of being condescending and say, well, you figure it out for yourself then, or, um, just, Making, making it very well known. And even a teacher sent out an entire letter to the entire faculty um, later on in the year about Amy and I, and it was one of my daughter's teachers um, and an ethics teacher and an ethics teacher. And, um, you know, really saying very nasty things about us, um, opening up the letter saying that um, while we dance on the lawn for our five minutes of fame, he tends to our children um, just, just completely out of touch with what really what, what his role is, what, what, what was happening. Um, but you can imagine that was one of her teachers and he, he was very clear about how he felt about us and it was not positive at all. Then what? So we're, we're it, so the school hates you. <laughs> yes. You're going on some podcasts, right? And so, so then, then what happens? So then, you know, we keep continuing to try to see if we can talk to them. Like Amy said, we try to do the town hall. They refuse to do that. Um, really, they just refused to, to, to answer any questions um, substantively. So then um, the end of the school year comes around and um, by a process server in a very dramatic way, they serve us with um, expulsion letters. Um, okay. And um, they say that our children are no longer welcome at the school. They going. gave a reason or is it a very generic? Um, no actually, they cited a contract that is in effect for this year. And they also went on to say that we breached the politeness contract portion of the contract. Um, Even though we had written permission from the board to speak about the school or its leadership at any time to anyone. So, so, yes. Had you read the contract prior to this? I mean, this is something I mean, you know, my own story coming from the private school world, similar story in some respects, Um, the enrollment contracts, the language there is very restrictive. They can kick you out for any reason whatsoever. But one thing you you find talking to parents is no one's ever read these contracts. So I'm curious, is had you read the contract, the enrollment contract, prior to being served with the expulsion? Logically, we had read it because I think some of the things we were looking to see is does that contract allow the school to do these gender research studies without parental consent? And we could not find that in there. Um, so we were looking at the contract. I think, as you know, Andrew, every school's contract is very different. Um, although they are similar in terms of their unconscionability, um, they do have different language. And so I would say in terms of robustness of contract language, um, we are fortunate in that this contract is not as fortified as some of the other contracts. Like, for example, there is zero language in the contract um, that we signed that indicates that your child will be kicked out for anything that a parent would say. That was not in the contract that we signed. So um, we really didn't believe that was a possibility because all of the contract language surrounds if your student commits certain actions that would lead to their expulsion. And since our students, all three of them being there since they were four years old, have zero infractions in terms of their, you know, academically or disciplinary, disciplinary zero. Um, we never thought that was a possibility. Um, that was just nothing ever or we that assumed. an education would want to stand. I mean, nothing in the student handbook says anything about parent parental behavior. I mean, we have parents at the school that have photos of blackface. We have uh, children at the school whose parents have um, 
you know, committed crimes against children and, their and their kids, are still, their kids are still there. So, <laughs> and to stand on something like freedom of speech or to quell our speech and then um, retaliate by expelling our children, it just seemed kind and of- And I think it, interestingly, no warning to tell us to ever stop speaking prior to the expulsion. Rescinding that No permission. rescinding the permission. Um, zero in that regard. And then also when we ask for an appeal of the expulsion and a copy of the contract, because as you know, Andrew, they also disappear into the magical world of the, of the cloud. As soon as, um, the, the, yeah, as soon as the next one comes, you know, so we really didn't have a physical copy. Um, they also refused to provide a copy. So they said we were not entitled to a copy of the contract, nor, nor we be provided, be provided um, an appeal of any kind. And they came back with two very large law firms that are representing the school. And one of the persons um, that was on our board that chose to expel our children is a partner at the law firm that represents the school. And so, his name was signed on the on the letter there. So we seem a little conflicted Literally. there. But So all of this, because you were basically advocating that the school get back to its purpose, right? I mean, you wanted to see more um, ideological diversity, the politics not pushed in the classroom, true diversity, like the diversity of thought. And so, you know, backing up, it is really, it's really hard to understand why a school committed to creating independent thinkers at an independent school would react this way, because it seemed as though everything you were advocating for was to actually help them deliver on that not keep them from doing it. And it sounds like they just did not want to be publicly criticized and they wanted you to go away. Well, I mean, I would say our form of advocacy was literally trying to explain to them or show to them in real life what critical thinking looks like. It's about asking questions. I mean, that is literally the Socratic method. It's like ask questions. I mean, I don't even think Amy and I at the time were even thinking about it as being advocates. We were just asking questions. We were literally just looking at this. If you want to break it down in the most fundamental and basic way, which sounds, it's not the way we look at it because, you know, at this point, you know, we are in it for the millions of kids that this unfortunate indoctrination and their, 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 their ideology and their fundamentalism is creating. However, really what we were just trying to break it down to is, is like, we are trying to buy a product here and we are just trying to figure out what are we buying? Like, what are you teaching? I mean, that is it. It was about These asking not easy questions. questions. They right. were not hard questions. How do you get on the board? Yeah, because they said they would only speak to other board members. That's how they went talk to us. And so then we said, even though my husband had been on the board, I could not tell you how to get on the board. And neither could my husband. I mean, it was like, how do you get on the board then if you won't talk to us? They wouldn't answer that question either. I mean, it was literally not even about trying to be an advocate. It was literally about just asking the most basic questions so we could try to figure out what are they doing in there that we don't know about? And what, when they leave here, are our children going to know? Like, what are they learning and what are they going to know? What are they going to know when they leave? That's really what we were asking. And we felt that it was a real fundamental misunderstanding about the very purpose of education at the end, because we realized the undereducating of the children and the overacting. But all they wanted to do with that was create political divide, make it about, you know, what Immutable characteristics. Yeah, or make it about, you know, race and racism, or, I mean, we were called Nazis, we were called racist. I mean, it wasn't about any of those things. I mean, this is about literally about the fact that the, the ideology is regressive. And um, I heard something uh, today that in 1943, the Communist Party directive to the United States uh, Communist people were that when certain obstructionists become 
too irritating, label them after suitable buildups as fascist, Nazi, anti-Semitic, and to discredit them in the public mind by constantly associating anybody who questioned or opposed them with those names so that eventually it would become fact in public. And when that when I heard that today, I thought, oh, my goodness, that's really like starting out with these all community wide emails. I mean, like out of the gate without investigating any of these very legal questions. We operate in complete confidence with our head of school. This is two people spreading rumor and innuendo. I mean, they falsely accused us of hacking the school's Twitter account and their mail platform. I and I don't know if you realize, I can't even stop my messages from popping up while we're on here and making that little ding. We are very technologically challenged. Um, so okay. I heard that today and I thought, wow, that really resonates. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so- how authoritarians work. I mean, it really is. It sounds very, it echoes that very, very much. And, you know, how, I mean, so you, so your children are no longer welcome at the school. So you find yourself needing to figure out something else. And you said you homeschooled. Did you have a community form around you? Like what happened socially? What happened to both you and your kids as a result of this? Well, we've realized that not everybody will stand um, on the front lines and (laughs) and on the shoulders of truth and moral courage, as I'm sure Andrew can relate. Uh, We really realized who was ride or die and the circle got really tight. As far as schooling went, we were lucky for our youngest to be able to be supported um, with a classical education curriculum um, so that we could um, work on, you know, getting them the information that they need to know. Yep. So, I mean, I think our kids are resilient, like, you know, most kids are, and um, they're they're doing very well. Um, I think the best that they could be doing. Um, but did it have an impact on them? Yes, it absolutely, absolutely did. Absolutely, it did, and it had an impact on all of us. Um, it definitely had a very large impact on my family. Um, and I think of you know, just still. I mean, does it still bother me? Yes, it still bothers me. Um, when children still um, ask you, you know, they don't understand. They didn't do anything wrong. Why did this happen? And as adults, you know, they look to us for answers, and there is no logical answer, you know. Um, but they look to us and how we're handling it, and we do, um, you know, try to wake up every day with a positive attitude and moving forward and, and, you know, doing the best we can do and being full of joy because nobody can take that from you, you know, so you can only give it away if you want to, but it can't be taken. So, um, you know, we just rise above it and we just march forward with, like we said, just trying to stick up, not just for our three kids, but knowing this is about lots, lots, lots more kids, millions of kids that are affected by by this. So, um, you know, beyond just being expelled from the school, um, we did decide um, that we were going to protect our children's interests. Um, We will be um, moving forward um, with litigation. Um, And we also, in that vein, decided that we would form something positive um, and we wouldn't just point out what was wrong, but we would also try to create something new and different. And um, in that vein, realize it's not all that different yes. because it's been around for thousands yes. of years, yes. but different in Columbus, yes. Ohio, right. Yes. Having something to offer to our community um, that are looking for an alternative and know that something is not right. Or when their children home saying they're mixed race and they, what to do when they hate half of themselves, the white half that there are alternatives 
And so we're hoping to provide something. I want to talk a little bit more about the classical stool that you were starting with. And I don't know if you want to speak any more about the litigation or not. Um, that's, that's up to you. But oh, two, two last kind of quick questions before we get to that. One, I, I, something that I'm sure listeners are kind of wondering, because I've gotten this kind of question a lot, you know, you unexpectedly got, you know, children unexpectedly got expelled. You're no longer welcome at the school. You were very unhappy with the school going, in my words, off the rails educationally. It's not the school that you had signed up for, not the school you knew for years or decades. Why did you even want to stay there? Or did you want to stay there? Um, uh, we believed confronting, you know, I mean, we worked on all the committees. I was lower school head parents, coaching for um, sports, you know, 10th grade room parent. I mean, we were very, very involved in the school and we loved the community. Um, and so we believe that you could confront concerns with good ideas and that people would want to um, have a healthy community. Unfortunately, I believe the way the system is set up with our um, headmaster and the NAIS and how they're actually perhaps not serving the institution and its stakeholders, but more the bigger picture of this you know, national association um, we realized that, you know what, you can't fix everything. Right. So and hey, just, oh. just for people to understand, NAIS, National Association of Independent Schools, this is an organization I regrettably know a little bit now about as well, which is sort of the umbrella organization that helps sets the mission and, and um, impacts almost everything that about 1600 independent schools in the United States does, sort of all the elite schools. Um, all right, last question on, on that. Talk about we talk about parents. Did you get support from parents privately? Did you get a lot of that? You know, people say, look, I'm not going to come out publicly and support you, but thank you for what you're doing. Or, or was there not so much of that? Um, yes, I would say we definitely get a lot of that. Um, but it's definitely on the, but I don't want my name to be brought up. Um, right. They're very okay. scared of the exact same thing happening to them. I think they see it as a phenomenon now across the country. That's kind of the knee jerk move. Amy and I, unfortunately, our children were the first in the country that they decided to test that on. And thus far, and they've been getting away with it. So the FBI, I mean, when they called the FBI on us and alerted them, that was a full six months before Merrick Garland ever came out and said that that was the tactic to be used when we were likened to January. So you were the first domestic terrorist. I was going to say, maybe you inspired um, that I mean, letter. We were, um, I mean, we were before, you know, Paul Rossi came out uh, with the audio where we could hear what was going on. I mean, when we said about gender, the gender animals in the lower school, I mean, people thought, would oh, try to say that we were crazy when we totally said about crazy. taking books from the library whenever they didn't want any white composers. I mean, that there was no Loudoun County out then. That was the first people were kind of hearing about that. And so, I mean, they acted like, you know, they were looking at us with like multiple heads, you know. But now, I mean, I think even more people are connecting the dots that like, wow, we've heard all this before. And, um, you know, there is a foundation and it's, it's, they're saying it for a reason. They have the affidavits for a reason. If you can imagine, uh, we had this starting five years ago at my kids' public high school. So we were really alone in understanding or in seeing what was going on and had you know, we've been called all the same names that you've been called. I did not have the FBI called on me. So you've got one <laughs> on me there, but um, maybe boss um, sniffing dogs. That one. Yeah, they did that too. <laughs> 
But so it is good, though, to see that people are recognizing and it's hard to be at the tip of the spear of this, but um, it is definitely waking people up and showing them kind of what a lot of this, you know, these tactics are. It's funny, I'm listening to your story and it is so consistent with other stories that I've heard. It's consistent with elements that I've seen. And so I think even that is helpful in people understanding and kind of unpacking what's going on in these schools and to understand it's really, it's really from a playbook. And Mm -hmm. so it is definitely something that you can recognize and, you know, and hopefully we learn from one another and how to address it. Um, So, so kudos to you both. I know it was not fun, um, but it was definitely. (laughs) I had no idea in 2014 when I was starting the Latino affinity group, what the, what the foundation uh, was, was, was happening at our school by any means. But I'm sure as Andrew can attest, because his um, child was also at an NAIS school, it very much is, um, you know, we've talked to people on boards from, you know, all over the nation, and they would have the same handouts, the same information, the same little weekend getaways about the purpose of the board, It very much a playbook. Mm-hmm. It is. So I don't know, do you want to say, talk at all about the litigation, or you want to not about that well you know what we'd love to come back for that um, and share okay. about that um, okay yes. so we'll, we'll have you back okay. segment yes Part two. yes okay so let's talk about the classical school a little bit i mean so you guys are parent activists and organizers and you've gone the next step which is how do we actually solve this problem more than just fighting in our schools you're going to start a school so can you talk about how that idea began? Is that something you had from the beginning? Is that something that came later? And how has that process been for you? Um, well, Hillsdale's been around since 1844. The first day that they opened, they allowed men, women, black or white to enter their school. And I would say the impetus for this probably happened a long time ago, which, you know, you don't even realize why things are in your life. And it's not actually a coincidence. It's a providence. And with Andrea's husband, um, really having a relationship. He has loved Hillsdale for many years. Um, And so he knows a lot about it in terms of just having been looking into it for a long time, Um, understanding just the principles that the school is based upon the college and um, digging into that more than learning that they actually do. Um, They started an initiative of charter schools called the Barney Charter Schools. And um, so as Amy and I looked into all this, um, we understood, as we indicated, yes, we are going to be seeking litigation because we do believe that is an important piece of the puzzle um, in terms of helping to get real solutions. Um, but we all know that takes a long time. And so in the interim, um, we don't want to be doing nothing. Um, we felt like we could be doing something really positive and creating some new patriots in the world. And so we decided um, we helped um, the charter school in Columbus here get approved. Um, But that only goes through fifth grade. And as we indicated, our younger daughters are in sixth grade now. Um, And so we wanted the opportunity for um, the whole community, but also for our children as well. And so we decided that we would try to create a private, um, curriculum, Hillsdale curriculum school. They don't do that many of them. Um, It's kind of a new venture for them, but um, we feel super lucky and fortunate that we have assembled a great board and we have a great community in Columbus, Ohio, and um, we were approved. And, And so that's super exciting. So it will be the Hillsdale curriculum, which is where the gold lives. And um, it will be called the Columbus Classical Academy. Um, And it will be um, what we believe the true, true answer um, and the cure for 
the ails, the ill, this country um, is to create real, true human beings that understand yeah. their history, their civics, um, their how to do math, um, you know, really how to how to read the old books and to be a part of that conversation um, and to really learn um, Latin and Greek and to mm-hmm. really just dive into the deepest ends of trying to figure out um, how it's to be a critical of, thinker. It's the four pillars of learning, character, faith, and freedom. And certainly this is not an answer to all of society's problems, but uh, as C.S. Lewis said, it's a cultural anecdote. So we're trying to correct the current undermining of our educational system and to teach that knowledge and virtue are important. I visited Hillsdale with one of my kids for college and the guide, the student guide said, you know, at Hillsdale, we're here to seek truth. And I thought, sold, done. I just thought, I think that permeates everything that they do, both at the collegiate yeah. level and the high school level. Um, just a just a quick detail question. So you got approved, meeting you got approved by the state? By, by Hillsdale. Hillsdale. Because by Hillsdale to do. So you, and so basically, is this functioning as a, is a private school? Like how, how is, how would a kid graduating from your private school get, I guess, credit or how does that work with whatever the state requires? Like, do you have to deal with homeschooling laws? Like, I, I'm not sure I understand who needs to say what in order for you to be able to do this. Well, um, the state really doesn't have much involvement at all. And that's kind of like a state by state thing in terms of like how they deal with like chartering different schools. Um, Hillsdale, it's actually the, the correct, it's a private school. So the state has really little to no involvement at all, other than just the minimal and the most, and in Ohio, um, charter, chartering a school, um, it doesn't have a lot of specifics in terms of what the state requires. Um, this though is the curriculum that Hillsdale has developed for each grade. Um, Can is, I tell you, is it K through 12? It's K through eight to start with. We open in the fall of 2023. Um, and then we will build a grade each year, one per year until um, we reach 12th grade over a four-year period. Um, and then we'll be K through 12 after that. And does, Hill, I, I, does Hillsdale have high school curriculum? Does it go away through 12th or is that also a new? They year? do, uh-huh. they do. And Hillsdale, just as they are, I mean, they don't take one state or federal dollar, but you know, they still have it all set up. It's just kind of taking that model right now. I mean, I think they've had to set up a whole infrastructure just to handle Tennessee alone because Tennessee, the governor is moving forward with 50 of the Barney charter schools there. Um, you know, they said in January during our interview, it's like about a five or six hour interview and many different things to be approved for this. But they were saying that the phone was ringing off the hook from different governors of states wanting to set this up. And because they don't take any state or federal dollars, they really do depend on the goodwill of fellow patriots to help support this. So, um, you know, there's a couple here in Ohio, Cincinnati's opening up one, there's one in Toledo, hopefully we'll have these two August of 2023 in Columbus, and, you know, just trying to spread, um, spread the foundation where we believe, um, you know, what, what we really need for education. So how much legwork was required on your part to go through this process? A lot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> as you can imagine, starting a new school is it's definitely a very large mountain to move. Um, and yet again, um, to whom much is given, much is expected. And um, I just feel like that's what we feel like. So we just feel like it's our duty. Um, and 
you know, it's a calling really. Um, I know it's going to sound strange, but it's like a long time ago. I, many years ago when I was young and I decided I wanted to be a lawyer, I really wanted to be a lawyer because I said I wanted to, I wanted to help kids. And Amy and I had this conversation a couple months ago and we were talking about something and, and she said, but you wanted to help kids, right? And she kind of looked at me and I thought, well, you know what? It isn't what I thought it was going to look like, but but it is, I hope, going to help kids. And so I feel like we all have our hearts in the right place and we're going to get it done. We're, we um, are smart enough to know what we don't know. Right. So Which we, is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? We have found amazing people that have just been like right there in front of us to help. So we have an amazing board. Um at people, community that's really embracing it, wants to help community members that want to be on different committees. Um, and, you know, just one, I think if we looked at the whole thing at once, it would be like, wow, but we just do it one step at a time, you know, and, and are going to get it done. Day. So when you begin this, this school, will you be in a community of other Hillsdale private school uh, I guess leaders that you can learn from, or are you, yes. do you kind of operate independently? Like how was that? How will that work? Well, I think we will operate a little bit independently from the charter schools, but I feel like it's a whole sisterhood almost within those schools because our, we're already working with the charter school here. We've been to the charter school in Toledo to visit them. And Hillsdale has, as you can imagine, a um, network, a very, 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 deep and committed network and, um, and they have a high expectation. And like we said, they definitely don't give away, um, their, their grant of being a curriculum school, um, easily. And so we feel like they've put a lot of faith in us and, um, I feel like they did a good job of doing their homework. And, um, so I think, you know, they're betting on us to do a good job and, um, and I think it will be with their full support. Yeah. I mean, I've been reaching out with, uh, there's another school in Fargo, North Dakota, a private school that's going opening up through the Hillsdale, Idaho schools in Florida, other Hillsdale schools and everybody. It it is a strong network of committed individuals. Mm -hmm. My last question. Have you started to reach out to parents? Is there a lot of demand for this? I don't know if you're, you're starting enrolling students or it's too far out, but what's your sense for how much demand there is in the area from parents? And then same question kind of on the teachers. How easy or hard is it or going to be to get teachers that can teach this kind of classical education, which is seemingly very different than other schools, at least today? Well, um, those are great questions. And um, I feel like in terms of like the teachers, um, yes, uh, we are currently in the headmaster search right now. Um, We have some very, very strong candidates um, that we've already um, had applications submitted and resumes for um, very strong candidates in the running. And that job then, um, because this is kind of the Hillsdale model and we do the model that they they want us to um, in that regard, because it's proven to work, is that then that headmaster then hires the teachers. Um, and, you know, they also have a good pool and a great network of graduates and alumni and um, supporters in the community. And they also are very helpful in, you know, in pointing us in the right direction to get those classical teachers. Um, the Barney Charter School, um, some teachers from the Barney Charter Schools go to Hillsdale to be trained, but the same training resources are available um, that we can use for our teachers as well. And that headmaster gets in position a whole year in advance. They're paid a year before the start of school. So they are really 
working to get the right people and they know what the right person looks like. And Hillsdale knows exactly what, I mean, they've done this before. Um, so they definitely know what we need and what we don't know. And um, they're very much of partners in helping us figure out what we need to do next and the next steps to be successful. And, um, you know, we just, we have a exciting event coming up this week. And um, in terms of feeling like, what is the community um, feedback like? I think we're being blown away um, by the feedback and the turnout in the community. And we um, get invited to churches, political clubs, parents groups, and everywhere we go. I mean, we ask questions. People are so excited. um, And we have grandparents whose their their grandkids are like not even walking yet who are coming because they want to know, you know, what they don't know and just kind of how to advise and what to look out for. And I just think it's a really great sign. I think that people are really thinking a lot about where their kids are going to go to school and what the curriculum looks like. I mean, never. Have you ever heard this much about education in mainstream news? No, I mean, and it is sustained. You know, yeah. it's not just like a blip and then we run the news cycle. I mean, yes. when you talk about parents and our most innocent, protecting our most innocent, our children. That's when people get activated because we're going to protect our children. It was the silver lining to much of what we've endured the last two years, as well as, you know, really what has been taking seed for several years. But I agree the the wake up call has been sounded and it's being heated. And I have to say, you said that Hillsdale's taking a bet on the two of you. And I would say that that's a pretty good bet. That's, oh. that's one I'd make. Oh, thank, thank you. you. It's not just us, though. We have a lot of great people. Yeah, around us. we have a lot of really people. smart, smart people. Yes. Well, we thank you on behalf of all the parents of America for a standing up in your children's school, Columbus Academy, and then in going that much further step and launching a new school. So we wish you all the best. That's supposed to open, you said, August 2023. And we'd love to hear more about that from you going forward. Um, But again, thank you so much for doing what you've done and for coming on Take Back Our Schools. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. Well, that uh, that brave was women. very brave women, quite an ordeal and really, really quite shocking. The degrees to which the school, you know, really not went to after me. them. Not to no. me. Although obviously they were they is, were more aggressive with the FBI and, and you know. Than, than, I mean, that was beyond the pale. And yeah. I suppose I suppose perhaps reflects that they felt threatened you know, that they had kind of looked under the hood and, and were about to expose, you know, what was happening. And they just seemed to want to, you know, really, um, really defame them. Like, I'm, I'm actually really interested to see where their litigation will go. I know they've got a lawsuit and they withdrew it. They're going to amend it or, you know, there's just more happening. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of tough, though, in the private school world, isn't it? Because you don't have a whole, many rights, None. not nearly as no many rights. as the- No, no rights. It, it's <laughs> night and day. So, I mean, this is a conversation that I always have the issues are the same, private and public schools, in terms of the indoctrination, in terms of whatever you want to call the critical race theory and the gender theory and, and the trans stuff. All, all those things are happening, public and private. In a lot of ways, they're happening even more aggressively in private because the private schools have so much money, at least a lot of them with big endowments, have so much money to bring in the consultants. So they're, in a lot of ways, ahead of the public. But same issues. But how you fight this and your rights 
are really night and day because you don't have the civil rights protections in private oh. school that you do in public school. You have to sign these enrollment contracts that strip away any rights that you have. And, you know, as as Andrea and Amy said, these enrollment contracts and some are more aggressive than others. I know my really, you know, my daughter's old school was incredibly aggressive. They say they can kick your kid out, kick your family out for anything. And they're even much worse this year than they were in previous years because of this parent uprising. Well, I mean, I get that. And they can set the terms upon which they want to have students come to the school. And, you know, but is there going to be a market for schools like Columbus Academy that seemed to me that they are falling into developing, you know, a generation of kids who, you know, are, are group thinking, not, not thinking independently. Well, so I just, I mean, how, like, that, I don't you understand know, why people question. pay for this. <laughs> I know well, that's what I wanted to ask. Why do you even want your kids to stay? I mean, but, but I, you know, this conversation I have with private school parents all the time, and it is a very frustrating conversation. You know, all these bad things are happening. You know, your kids aren't getting the education you want them to. You know, that you're, they're getting indoctrinated in this politicized curriculum. Why aren't you pulling your kids out? And at least in a place like New York City and a lot of other cities, you know, blue states, especially the answer is and go where? Because well, very few people are going to homeschool to, to start a new school, which is something I would love to do and have tried to do is incredibly difficult, especially in a place like New York City, where mm-hmm. the amount of money you need to raise is just astronomical, just you know, given the real estate situation and then given all the regulations and, and everything that goes along with that. So I give I give. Andrew and Amy, enormous credit for doing this. I think there is enormous demand for classical schools for seeing that, but Mm -hmm. it's not easy to do that. And it's especially not easy to do that in in a private school where it's so expensive to start one. Charter schools where you're getting government money to do that or vouchers or, or what have you is a lot easier to do. Well, I, I love that they are bringing a solution to the table. I, um, they are showing such courage and, you know, they are serving as role models for their children um, and not only their children, but all children. So uh, wonderful to have them. And we will look forward to having them back uh, to talk about the lawsuit at some point. Yes. So, absolutely. all right. Well, uh, with that, thank you all for listening. Um, if you enjoy the show, please do share it. Give us a positive rating on wherever you access your podcasts. And we also hope that you will join us again. So on behalf of my co-host, Andrew Gutman, this is Beth Feely, and we will be back soon with another episode of Take Back Our Schools. Ricochet. Join the conversation.